And for our scripture reading, we'll turn once more to Genesis chapter 3 and read the entire chapter. Genesis chapter 3. reading from Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, And have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, 
because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. As far as the reading of the scripture. And dear congregation, in the last number of weeks we've been focusing on the topic of temptation. And there is much more to study on it, especially in regards to resisting temptation and overcoming temptation. But now we need to move on for a while since it is now Advent. And this is a good time to transition into the Advent season because it is, it's immediately after Adam and Eve fall into sin that God comes with this first gospel message, the first announcement that Christ would come to deliver sinners. And in the last number of weeks, we've been taking our time working through these first verses of Genesis 3, which all lead up to the fall. It seems to explain in, in quite detail these temptations so that we can also recognize what it is to be tempted and identify with the powerful effects of sin in our own hearts, how we are tempted of our own selves and by the world and Satan around us. And we face so many trials and so many temptations daily. And it has and these past weeks have made me examine myself more carefully. And we begin to realize more and more that without the grace of God, we cannot resist and overcome temptation ourselves. But it's also at these times like this when we find ourselves most helpless against sin and temptation that we also find the greatest hope that we can in this world. The hope with God, because here is where God intervenes. When we have lost all, God also shows that He has done all. And it is here in the darkest and stormiest night of sin and temptation, after Adam and Eve had fallen into the deepest pit of self-destruction, that God comes to give them light and hope and direction. And we can think of, of this illustration that I read, that when a ship needs to come near the shore or to be directed through a dangerous channel where there's many rocks hidden underneath the water or, or cliffs on the side, um, then, then there would be two leading lights for them to follow. Now, a leading light is, is our beacons, beacons that are set up on the shore, and one is set closer to the water, and the other one further back and a little bit higher up. And all the ship needs to do is align himself with those two lights 
and, and follow that line, and it will guide him safely through the passage to the harbor. And then it doesn't matter how dark the night is or how stormy it is, as long as he can keep those lights in front of him, he will arrive safely. And so here it is also that God places before us today two beacons. And the second one a little bit higher, a little bit further than the first for us to follow. So that it doesn't matter how stormy and dark our lives are with the trials and temptations that we face and the sins that we face. But if we can keep these two beacons in front of us and follow their line, we will be guided to safety. And so our theme this morning is two beacons of light for the tempted. Two beacons of light for the tempted. And the first beacon is this, that God comes to us in mercy. God comes to us in mercy. And we'll explain that with three uh, thoughts underneath it. And so, God comes to us in mercy despite who we are, despite how far we have fallen into sin and temptation. Because it's especially in those darkest and stormiest nights that, that the ship, that the pilot of the ship is looking for guidance, that he's looking for light. And if we consider these first six verses that we have been studying, we, we've taken a long time to get here. And now we need to speed up our progress a little bit. And, and verses six through eight also seem to, to speed up it seems to fast forward through the tragic fall into sin. And in many ways, that really reflects the reality in our own lives. We can be tempted slowly or, or gradually, whether it's certain temptations that enter our minds when we are young, and, 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 or if it's friends and activities that, that initially we shy away from, we, we, we hate even what they're doing. But as time goes on, we seem to begin to accept it, begin to tolerate it, and accept it as normal. And before we realize it, we find ourselves engaging in the very same sins that we first hated. Once our will is inclined to give in to temptations, the next steps are almost like a rapid fire of events. Sin is like a vacuum that suddenly sucks you in. Because once Eve's will gave in to the temptation, there was no stopping her. And James 1.15 says that when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now if you think, can a mother stop the baby from being born? No. When it's ready, the baby is delivered. No more can we stop our sin once it is conceived in our mind and our will is turned to follow it. The step from committing a sin in our mind, from, from meditating or thinking on these sins to, to turning our will to it, to acting it out, is so small. You only need the opportunity for it to work out. 
from the angry thought that's in our mind until we lash out and hit our brother, or from the lustful thoughts that well up in our hearts and minds until you turn to pornography or some other way to satisfy your desires is only a small step. And this is why God commands us to mortify our sin, to kill our sin in the very thoughts. We live in the sad reality in this world that many mothers do kill their children through abortion. But here God does command us to kill, to mortify our sin when it is still in our mind. Because notice in verse 6 how fast it goes. It says, the woman saw, and then she took, and she ate, and she gave to her husband, and he ate that fast. When our minds are set to do evil, there seems to be no stopping it. We, we see something, we, we take it, we consume it, and we give it to others. See, and sin is our, sin is our own action. It's no one else's fault. We can never blame anyone else for our own sins. We chose to enter that sin because of our own sinful desires. But it is here, at this very place, where God comes to us in His mercy. Here is a beacon of light for hope and hope for sinners who have fallen to this place. And then secondly, under this point, God comes to us in mercy even while we suffer the consequences of our sin. Even as we are tossed like that ship out in the middle of a stormy sea, and we see here immediately the the dire consequences of the sin that follows. In verse 7 it says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. James 1.15 says, Sin brings forth death. Sin gives us a new perspective. Especially when, for the first time, when we do something wrong. We, we, we feel that guilt, that gnawing within. There can be so many consequences to ourselves and those around us. Those health effects or addictions or broken relationships, loss of reputation or employment. We also see the judgment of God that falls on sinners. And there's times that we can be so burdened with our guilt. And we see, we may recognize that we do not deserve the mercy of God. And yet it is to sinners like us, sinners in, in this place, that, that God comes to shine the light of His mercy towards us. And thirdly, God comes to us in mercy because he, we cannot restore ourselves. Without that guiding light, those ships could never find themselves safely to shore. And without God's mercy shining towards us, we also would never return to God. In verse 7 and 8, we see their reaction where they, the second half of verse 7, it says, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve, his wife, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. 
they hid themselves. Why? Because of their guilt. They're spiritually lost. They're lost from God. And yet, knowing that we have stepped into sin, we also think we can step out of it. We can fix this ourselves. Notice how the focus is on what we tried to do. They sowed, they made, and they hid. And so it is that we try to cover up our guilt. We try to hide it from the presence of God. When we feel guilty, we don't want others to know. We don't want others to find out. We avoid eye contact. We avoid conversations. We hide from the light, the Scripture says. Today, people are trying to take away that guilt by taking away the laws. But Adam and Eve would have felt no less guilty if someone told them they were now allowed to eat from that tree. Making it legal to use drugs or making it legal to, have, to commit fornication outside of marriage or making it legal to commit murder by abortion or euthanasia will not take away the guilt of the sin. These are all ways of covering up our sin with the fig leaves and hiding from God. By our disobedience, we have replaced God with our own desires and our own pride. We follow the wrong beacons. We follow the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, the pride of life, and these have all led us astray. And they leave us nowhere but paddling out in the middle of the ocean with no way back to God, lost in the storm of His eternal condemnation where we deserve to perish eternally under the prince of darkness. But this is exactly the place where God comes to sinners. This is exactly the place where God shows His mercy to lost sinners. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. You who once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This is where God finds every one of us. He finds us at enmity with God haters of God and His ways. Because Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. This is where God steps in. Do you see this beacon of light shine from the shorelines of eternity even to wherever you are or where God has found you. That God comes and He calls to Adam as He's hiding in guilt and shame, and He says, where are you? And God comes to every one of us, even today, like a shepherd looking for His sheep, and He calls out to you, and He says, where are you? Where are you hiding from My face today? He says, come out from your hiding place. Because there is mercy in Jesus Christ for the greatest of sinners. He says, I know how you have fallen. I know where you are hiding and why you are hiding. There's nothing you can hide from an all-knowing God. 
but there is mercy. And he says, though your skin, sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The first light shining toward you is the light of God's mercy as it finds you in the midst of the darkness of your sin, your guilt, and your shame. The light of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to realize that after all that I have done, that God would still come to someone like me. That despite all my sin, even the sin that still remains in the children of God, that God would still continue to come, continue to shine His mercy, even though there's nothing that we can do to fix it ourselves. And so the first light shows that God comes to us in mercy. This is the first beacon of light that we must always see and always keep our eye fixed on. But the second light is our second main point will align you now in the direction that we have to go. Because with only one light, that ship would never, would not likely make it to shore. With one light only, he could not get his bearings straight. And so we need a second. And the second main thought is God directs you to the only deliverer. The second beacon light is God directs you to the only deliverer. God comes at man's greatest failure here to promise man's greatest victory through the man Jesus Christ. And again, we have three thoughts under this. The first is God directs you to the only deliverer who will deliver his people from the power of their sins. You can imagine the joy and the hope that those sailors had when they first spot that first beacon. And then when they see the second, because now there is hope. Now they have direction. Now there is a way out of this storm and a, and a safe passage to the harbor. And with these two lights also, it keeps us from drifting from side to side. Because if you only see the mercy of God, you don't know how, how that is possible. And you can still drift from one side to the other. But if you, and, and it, having these two beacons preserves us from, from breaking up on the rocks of presumption or on the cliffs of despair. Because on the one hand, you might be tempted to think, well, there's only mercy with God and nothing else, and you would still make shipwreck on presumption. Or if you see the mercy of God, you don't know how it can be for you, you would still perish in the cliffs of, of despair, but you need that second light where God guides you to the deliverer to make the straight path to Himself. And that's because we see our own pride and our own sinful nature that still lives within us. As Adam here tries to justify himself, and he blames God, and he blames his wife that God has given, and Eve blames the serpent. And we still do the same. We follow our desires into so many sins. And we even, we even justify ourselves. We blame others so often. See, Adam never returned to God. Adam did not choose for God. 
They were totally given over to their sins and to the power of darkness, totally depraved. They now resorted to lying, to covering up, and to self-righteousness, trying to find their own way in the dark of night, and we reject God's light. But those fig leaves that they, that they made could never cover their sin and their guilt, because the penalty of our sin must be paid, and we must be perfectly righteous without sin. And here again we see that God does something so wonderful. Remember, Eve pointed to the serpent and said, the serpent made me sin, in verse 14. So where does God begin? He begins by speaking to the serpent. The devil used the serpent to speak to Eve, and now God is speaking to the devil through the serpent. And even though God is speaking to the serpent, what he says is meant for Adam and Eve, for their benefit, for their comfort. Because this is the first gospel sermon that is given. Though Satan succeeded in tempting Eve, God would not allow them to remain there. Satan would not maintain control over them. He had stolen them from God. And this is a battle that God will fight for His people. He will restore to Himself what rightly belongs to Him. And in verse 4, God curses the serpent. Verse 14. Remember in Genesis 1, God blessed all the animals. And in Genesis 3, it said that the serpent was more cunning, more gifted, created in a special way. But now it is cursed above all other animals because it was used to deceive mankind. The devil himself is a picture of this. He was created as one of the most beautiful angels in God's service. But he exalted himself above God and he was thrown down out of heaven, and now he is cursed above all other creatures. And there is no hope of deliverance for the devil and his angels. There is only a fearful waiting for the judgment that waits them, the everlasting fire that God has prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew says. And the devils tremble at the very thought of God. Verse 14 says the serpent will be forced to eat dust its whole life. Not only is that the unappealing dust a direct contrast to the appealing fruit that it tempted Eve with, but eating dust is a symbol of humiliation, a symbol of total defeat. The serpent would literally eat dust the rest of its life. And every time we see a snake, we can be reminded of God's victory over Satan that makes him lick the dust. The serpent would do it literally. Satan would do it figuratively. When God pronounced that curse of defeat on Satan, that means that God will deliver his people from Satan's grasp and from sin. 
And we see that when the Lord Jesus Christ came and defeated Satan in the temptation in the wilderness, and when he defeated him on the cross, and when he poured out his Holy Spirit from heaven after he rose from the dead, and when sinners are saved, when they're delivered from the kingdom and the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God, if God wins the victory and Satan licks the dust when sinners are saved. So then we see second here, secondly, God directs you to the only deliverer who has declared war on your enemy, the devil. God here has declared war on Satan. And that is why he goes around as a roaring lion, because he knows he is a defeated enemy. But he's still trying to hang on to as many souls as he can, trying to attempt to, trying to tempt God's people, as many souls as he can, to turn away from God and to fall into sin. Where Christ has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Christ will come conquering and to conquer, to throw down the defenses of Satan. And this means even that Satan cannot stop the advance of the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That means his defenses, his castle walls cannot stop the advance of the church. If we took that to heart, we would not stop praying until we saw his walls crumble. God said in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity, a hostility, a deep, last, long, a lifelong hatred that will never go away. Truth must hate evil. God's people will hate all evil. The snake itself will be hostile to humanity. There's a reason why people hate snakes. But the evil will also hate all truth. And we see that every day more clearly in our day today. And verse 15 focuses on the devil. The devil spoke together with Eve, pretending to be her friend, striking up a friendship which should never have begun. And because of our sin, we are born enemies with God. James says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Which side are we on? Friendship with the world, friendship with Satan, is enmity with God. But here God stepped in to break up this friendship. Sometimes parents have to do that for the children and say, you may not be friends with this or that person. They're not a good influence. They, are, they live a wicked life. But even more so, God here to a much greater degree breaks up this, this friendship between Adam and Eve and, and, and Satan. He put enmity between the devil and the woman and reestablished a friendship with himself. God made a new covenant and said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And here we see it's God's work. I will put. God puts enmity in our hearts against evil and the evil one. And when does He do that? He does that when He gives you His Holy Spirit. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
when you are born again, when you are given the truth of God, the spirit of truth, you receive the hatred for sin. Love for God results in a hatred for sin. And that is where that war begins in our own hearts. A war of truth against evil, of the law of God against our sin, of our new nature that God has given against the old nature that still rises up. And this is where you might wonder and say, well, how can we ever win that battle? There's still so many temptations. We still see the strength of our own sins and our own lusts and desires. We see the power of Satan and sin as it tries to bowl over the world. But then we see, thirdly here, God directs you to the only deliverer who will obtain that complete victory. God said in verse 15 that the enmity would be between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this term seed in general refers to two groups of people. In 1 John 3 says there's the children of the devil and there's the children of God, the seed of, of, of God, the, the elect. And there's enmity between those in general in the world. But here God uses also the, the singular. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this represents specifically Christ. Through the woman, the devil brought sin into the world. But it's through the woman that God's grace will now conquer sin. As Galatians 4 says that God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. And so the main battle here is between Christ and Satan. And this is a fight to the death. The hostility here implies the intention to crush and to defeat each other. The intention of Satan is to crush Jesus Christ and his people. And the verbs used here imply a repeated attacks, a continual assault from both sides. But his battle is ultimately fought by Christ on behalf of his people. And Christ defeated Satan in all his temptations. In all the temptations where we fell, Christ stood victorious. And then at Calvary, Christ delivered a death blow to Satan's head and crushed it. And there he secured a victory for all who trust in him. And yet now the fight, the fight is not completely over. Many sinners still need to be rescued from Satan's dominion, to be brought into God's kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. Satan is already licking the dust in defeat. He is already dying because he has received the, 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 the crushing of his head. But many souls are still in his grasp. And he's still striking. But this is what gives us the hope and the light, and the encouragement to go into all the world and preach the gospel, knowing that Satan is a defeated foe, and that sinners, no matter what depths of darkness they are fallen in, they're not beyond the reach of the mercy and the grace of God, that this deliverer can save sinners from the ends of the earth, beginning here. And so these are the two lights of, of hope that Adam and Eve 
had to hold before them for the rest of their life. They never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they could hold these two beacons in front of them. Even when they were tempted and discouraged, and when they saw Abel killed by his own brother Cain, and when they saw Cain fleeing from the face of God like a fugitive into the world with seemingly no hope left, and whatever else they faced in this world, they knew this, God came to find us in mercy when we had fallen into sin. And God said there is a deliverer who will come, who will defeat Satan and deliver us. And these are the same two beacons that we still need to hold in front of us for the rest of our life until we arrive safely into the harbor of God's eternal rest. And so for those who may be listening who are still lost in an ocean of sin, of guilt, and of misery. God comes looking for you today in His mercy. And He says, where are you? Because here is the Lord Jesus Christ who has overcome death and sin and Satan and can deliver you from the power of sin and wash away all your guilt. Follow these beacons to His salvation. But for those of you who have seen these lights shine in your life, who have known God to come down wherever He found you, when you were hiding from Him, when you were running from Him, when you had nothing, wanted nothing to do with Him, and He came and He shined in your life, and said, here is mercy. I know where you are. Where are you hiding? Why are you hiding from me? You who have seen the light of God's deliverance shining in Jesus Christ, but now you still see that you still struggle daily with these temptations, with the power of sin and Satan around us, and, and our own evil desires. But you see that war. You feel that war within. That battle fighting within. Then keep those lights in front of you. Knowing that God continually comes to you in that mercy still. And that He has not left. Nor will He ever forsake. But He is always there. And He was always directing you to the same Deliverer. Keep those lights aligned in front of you. Do not veer off to the one side or the other. Because God's mercy is so great that He still comes to me even after grace. Even after so much sin. Even after so much backsliding and so much falling and stumbling. But look continually also for that second light. God's deliverance in Christ is so certain. Though it seems like we might perish so often. It's like David had to cry out, I, I, I'm going to perish at the hands of Saul eventually. It can feel like we are going to perish and succumb to our sins. And yet he says, keep this light in front of you. Because Christ's deliverance is so certain. He will give the victory because he has overcome. And this is your victory 
whereby you overcome the world, even your faith, 1 John 5 says. Look unto Him who has come and who has overcome for you and for me. Amen.